0: Opinions expressed by this podcast are not representative of our workplaces, families, friends, enemies, pets, or other entities that may associate with us, despite our opinions.
1: And on Facebook at Unelectables Pod.
0: Good
1: morning, good afternoon, good evening ladies and gentlemen. This is it, this is the anniversary show, the one year anniversary of The Unelectables. I am Joey Oberhoffner and I'm Kirk Schmidt and we are two middle-aged white guys talking about politics on a podcast which makes us at least one of the top 250 in Alberta. Yes. Well, maybe 350. There are a lot of political podcasts out there and we are grateful that you've decided to join us. Kirk, it has been a while, to put it lightly, since we last put out a podcast. What have you been doing over the past
0: couple of months? Happy New Year, by the way. (laughs) You know, I've just been uh, relaxing and reading Twitter and trying to gouge out my own eyes. All right. Well, in that case, uh, you and I have been in mostly the same boat,
1: although I did take an absolutely beautiful trip with the lovely Christy. We went to New Orleans, Louisiana. Uh, I was able to unplug for a little while. We had a great trip, lots of fantastic food. The music was out of this world, and something that'll be... Uh, of interest to a lot of our nerdier listeners. The last night that we were there was the first parade of Mardi Gras and it was the crew of Chewbacca's. So, all of the nerds came out for a Mardi Gras parade. Typical Mardi Gras music, but you also had the dancing Leyas, You also had the Chewbacca's. You also had the Star Trek fans. You had people walking down the street dressed as 12-sided dice. Uh, and, uh, and it was all to honor the drunken Wookiee.
0: Fantastic.
1: Yes. So, uh, if you think that we've got interesting parades here in Calgary, head down to New Orleans. You'll have the time of your life. And stop by Café du Monde. Uh, the, uh, the beignets are pretty okay. And they're, they're very, very small. There's not a, lot of, uh, uh, not a lot of sugar on them. You'll love them. With that said, Kirk, has anything happened in
0: politics since we've been gone? Well, I think if we look at the last week, there's at least a year's worth of politics that has happened. I know I've aged at least a year in the last week, so there is that. Yeah, it seems like, well, it just seems like the, the more we watch social media, the more chaotic it gets. Uh, with, you know, and, and we're not even talking about the United States. Like, that's, that's out of scope here. Yes, yeah, we're going to leave the United States alone for now.
1: We're going to leave the coronavirus alone. We're not even going to talk about Sussex Royal or not royal, as the case may be. We're just talking about domestic politics.
0: Yeah, so it's, it's been absolutely crazy just in the last few weeks between the Alberta budget, between uh, things happening internal with uh, different parties, uh, but, you know, and that's, that's both fed, uh, federal and provincial, um, uh, there's been a whole bunch of things coming up with civic politics that has caused issue. It's been, uh, it's been crazy. I think we could probably have podcasted every day and still done an hour and a half show. Yes. Well, uh, we have been getting requests. Could you please make the podcast
1: longer? Uh, and that, uh, that email is from our friend, Stephen Carter. Stephen, just for you, buddy, we're going to make it as long as we can. We hope you enjoy it. Uh, now Kirk, you live in the north part of Calgary. I wanted to take your temperature on this because one of the counselors local to your part of the city is having a little bit of a time over this past month or so. Uh, Joe Maglioca has come under fire for his expenses dating back to uh, a, a recent Federation of Canadian Municipalities conference that happened in Quebec City. Uh, that has snowballed now to the point where he is actually being investigated uh, for all his expenses over this past term, there have been calls for the entirety of city council to be audited. Um, what are you hearing on the ground uh, from people with respect to the way that local taxpayers, or local uh, politicians rather, are spending taxpayer dollars?
0: Well, Honestly, most of the chatter is still in the normal circles, in the, you know, on, on the Twitter machine and, and places like that that have a, effectively no influence. Mm-hmm. Um, as far as you know, everyday chatter, I'm not hearing a whole heck of a lot now. Of course, that's Ward Two, which is, which is uh, not my ward, but um, but certainly you know, in, in online circles, the Joe Maglioka thing has been pretty crazy, and and I think it's it's drawn the ire of people who who traditionally would have supported him too. Mm-hmm. Well, now.
1: It started off as a strictly online controversy. However, as things continued to to snowball and as more and more stuff came up, it eventually crossed over into the mainstream, which a lot of online outrage never gets to that point, right? It exists purely in the echo chamber and then it's gone and it never really had any impact. Sure. But uh, this was front page news in the newspapers. It's since been supplanted because, as you mentioned on the on the outset, there's a ton of stuff going on right now. But this occupied a lot of council's time. There was an emergency meeting called. There were dueling uh, uh, proposals in front of council about what to do about it. The ethics commissioner got involved, though probably not in the way that he would have liked. Although, yeah, so the ethics commissioner um, (laughs) recused himself. Because he had, in fact, gone to lunch with Joe Magliocca, and the meal had been expensed to his expense account, um, which was the whole point of the problem to begin with Um, so it did cross over it doesn't seem as though there's as much push as there had been even a couple weeks ago uh, there were there were people calling uh, in print for Joe Magliocca to step aside now we are still uh, a year and a half away from an election do you see any circumstance in which this pressure gets to be too much or where Joe Magliocca just says you know what this isn't worth it He's, he's already come out uh, and, and said that this has taken a huge toll on his personal
0: life. Do you think it gets to a critical mass where he just says to hell with it and walks away? No, I don't think so. I think well, at le- at least not walks away right now. Um, now if I remember correctly, there's only there's a certain time period in which if he drops out early enough, then we'll actually have a by-election. Yeah, I believe um, for municipal politicians, it's one year. Yeah, so we're—I mean, there's not a lot of time, mm-hmm. but there's there's certainly that time period where if he were to step down, there would be a by-election. Um, I don't—I don't see any reason why you would actually step down from municipal politics unless you couldn't handle kind of the the outrage. And and Joe Magliocca isn't the type of person that that. Um, I don't think he he'd be as affected by it mm-hmm. um, and not necessarily because he's not you know looking or that, but I think I think there's just enough ego there to to not worry about that type of thing. Um, so I don't see see really an issue where he steps down. now, is will he run again? That's kind of more of the question that would be in my mind. And I'm not even willing to say that it's a hard no. Because we've seen a number of cases in recent history with uh, Alberta politics especially, uh, but, but federal politics as well, where people have made huge mistakes and continue to sit in their seats, uh, continue to, to do their role. I mean, Justin Trudeau with, with blackface, um, mm-hmm. then, I mean, until absolutely recently, and we'll talk about this, but Andrew Scheer... Mm-hmm. didn't step down right away after being hundreds of thousands of dollars over his expense account mm-hmm. um, you know and and you know all the issues we saw in Alberta politics with uh, with the kamikaze candidate and things like that like there have been all of these cases in recent history where things have happened and politicians have run again politicians have kept their seats they haven't really worried about it just let it blow over so I think to a large degree, the roadmap exists for Joe Magliocca to just stay where he is.
1: Mm-hmm. Uh, it's also worth noting that Magliocca has, or at least had, the support of uh, some pretty significant organized uh, right-wing groups in the city of Calgary that were planning on running him again uh, and and assisting his campaign in Ward 2 uh, in the upcoming 2021 municipal election. Now, that that, that group that wants to take back City Hall, in fact, I think, I could be wrong, but I think that's actually their name, uh, is, uh, is uh, involved with Craig Chandler. And, of course, Craig Chandler from the Progressive Group for Independent Business has also publicly said that uh, Shane Keating is retiring, which is something that Shane hasn't said, but Craig has said it, uh, perhaps much to Shane's surprise, and that Craig would be running for the council seat on Ward Twelve. Uh, there would be other councillors as well. They indicated they would support, including uh, uh, Peter DeMong, which is no surprise. Craig Chandler ran his campaign previously, uh, and Jeremy Farkas in Ward 9. So they're clearly uh, uh, focused on trying to get uh, conservative-leaning politicians elected to City Hall, which has traditionally been a bit of a tough road to hoe. Uh, so I think when they find one, and Joe Maglioka certainly would, would count himself among that group, uh, that is redeemable, and I think that if Magliuca, uh continues to show the, the same kind of uh, apologetic stance that, that he has expressed publicly, they may decide that he is somebody who they can continue to, uh, to support and try and get him back in to city council. And of course, if you've got money and you've got organization, you're already 90% of the way there because most people
0: who run for city council don't have both, and a lot of them don't have either. And, and in the end, I mean, you, you said it kind of at the beginning, it was front page news, mm-hmm. but it has since taken a major backseat because of all the other things that have been happening. You know, at what point do people forget about this? I mean, we're, we're talking about an election that's going to happen uh, next year, right? So the the amount of time, you know, considering weeks are years already, mm-hmm. you know, when when we get to that point, 15, 16 months from now, nobody's going to really matter or, or really worry about it or care. Or at least, you know, in, in general, the electorate is likely not going, to, um, not going to punish him for it. Right. Now, theoretically, that election coming up
1: in October of 2021 is the next election that all of us are going to have a chance to cast a ballot in, unless the federal government falls. But there is an election coming up uh, later this year that members of the Conservative Party of Canada are going to be able to participate in. And this was not the case the last time we recorded. But we had pointed out that we didn't necessarily see a way forward for Andrew Scheer to preserve his leadership of the Conservative Party. What has happened since
0: then? Well, of course, you know, one thing was that Andrew Scheer stayed on after after kind of the... the the showing that we saw, and and again, we didn't think that. Well, I mean, we talked about a few times even before the election that there might not be a way forward for a number of federal leaders, depending on on the outcomes. Mm-hmm. Uh, but Andrew Shear seems to be the only one who has actually uh, taken a hit there. But but there have been other factors, right? So there was the case where um, the the Conservative Party found that he had used. Uh, money to fund his children's private education and then as more investigation kind of went on uh, it was and I'm gonna get the number wrong but I feel like it was three hundred thousand dollars over over his expense account limit uh, was being used for for this and and other things now that was his party expense party account. Account it expense wasn't account. it
1: wasn't his expense account as leader of the opposition it was it was the account that the conservative party makes available uh, money that came from their donors uh,
0: and they make it available to the leader. Right. Yeah. yeah. So, um, so that, that of course has happened. And, and just in general, there's, there's just not a lot of faith in, in Andrew Shear being able to be the one to steward the party uh, forward. I'm, I mean, really, from a conservative party standpoint, and, you know, kind of said it before you know between the blackface issue which we should never really you know forgive Trudeau for like like this needs to always be an issue mm-hmm. um due to the snc Lavalin issue that really did go away um like Andrew Shear should not have lost that election no right like like any any leader who who is defeated by justin trudeau after those two major pieces there's not a lot of faith
1: no and even more important than you and i sitting here in the palatial studios of the unelectables saying that you shouldn't have faith and that uh justin trudeau should have been beatable uh more critically for the conservative party their donors said there is no way that we can trust this guy, Andrew Scheer, with more of our money if he couldn't beat Justin Trudeau during the perfect storm of
0: scandal. Absolutely. I mean, this should have... It should have been the Conservative Party's election on a platter. And somehow they, you know, threw the platter at the wall.
1: Right. Now, a a formerly uh, 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 senior member of the party... Uh, and I guess he's still a senior member of the party for a reason we'll talk about in a second, Peter McKay said after the election that it was very much similar to um, the Conservatives having a wide open net and somehow managing to score on themselves, I think is how he put it. Um, Because they, they had every opportunity to win that election and still found a way to lose it. What is it with that guy in hockey? I don't know. What is it with that guy generally? Um, Good question. (laughs) The Conservatives do have a leadership election coming up. Um, Their their convention will be in Toronto, Ontario, on June the 27th of this year. So they're going to choose their leader in Toronto the same weekend as Pride, uh, which has certainly uh, raised some eyebrows and, and made some candidates leap at the opportunity to say, I would absolutely march in Pride. And some have said something else entirely. Um, But also, we've got, um, uh, you know, that's right before barbecue season. That's right before all the big festivals that happen in the country. So it really is an opportunity for that new conservative leader to uh, fly all over the country and meet with people in the summer when people generally aren't thinking about politics, but the hyper-engaged are always thinking about politics.
0: Yeah, now it's going to be interesting because I don't know that just from an outsider kind of looking in, Um, as a former member of the Conservative Party, who's like... I know... I I can't actually remember the last time I actually held a membership in the Conservative Party of Canada. I think it was when you organized a coup d'etat of a local I was not part of the organization of that. Um, Okay, maybe I was. But I didn't see it as a coup. Um, Anyways, going back to, to modern... Like, yeah, I haven't held a Conservative Party membership in years. I am getting emails... From Peter McKay, from Aaron O'Toole, from. Actually, I think that might be it. I think those are the only two that have gone as far back as like 10 years ago right. in their email lists. Um, which, of course, you know, I'm like, as much as politics aren't. aren't uh, don't have to adhere to Castle, that's spam. Um.
1: Right. Now, let's talk about, just for a second, about who the actual contestants are in sure. this race. Because the deadline just passed, the, the first deadline in that uh, leadership uh, uh, race. So we know who the authorized uh, applicants are. And they're not, always, are not all necessarily going to end up on the final ballot. But at this point, we've got Peter McKay, who's already met all the requirements to be verified candidate. So Peter McKay is definitely on the So ballot. you're saying he got his paperwork in on time? Everybody always does. I don't know why you keep bringing that up. Anybody with a good strategist is always going to have their paperwork in on time. And if they don't have a good strategist, the last thing that person would want to do is probably take shots at members of their own party and brag about their credentials. Now, also authorized contestant, Aaron O'Toole. So Aaron O'Toole is just about to the point where he's guaranteed his spot on the ballot. Sure. Other people who are approved applicants at this point, they still have some hoops to jump through and some money to raise and some signatures to gather. But, at this point, they're still in the race. Marilyn Gladue, Rudy Husney, Jim Carahalias, Leslin Lewis, Rick Peterson, and Derek Sloan. Now, folks, that is it. Those are the only people. Somebody on that list of names I just read is going to be the next leader of the Conservative Party of Canada. Um... What do you think of that list? Are there some names on that that you
0: wish had been on there? Or are there people you think are just trying to to boost their profile? Well, I, I think there's there's definitely some names I would have loved to have seen on there, but were never going to happen, right? Mm-hmm. Like I would have loved to have seen Bernard Lord step back into the political arena. Right, Bernard Lord, uh, um, former Premier of New Brunswick. Of New Brunswick. Of New Brunswick. Now, um, nothing
1: good ever comes out of New Brunswick, but if something good did come out of New Brunswick, I would think it would be Bernard
0: Lord. Sure. Um, I actually had a great conversation with Bernard Lord a few years ago at a at a conference but uh, uh, that 'll be a story for another day um, you know um, there's there 's a few other former leaders or or former high profile conservative members that I would have liked to have seen on there Rona Ambrose being one of mm-hmm. them um, There was talk of John Baird running not that I wanted to see him on there but i i yeah, I mean, there are there's, he's got a lot of skeletons. Mm-hmm. Um, so there, there's obviously a reason why he didn't run and, and some compelling reasons why he should not be leader. At the same time, it's interesting because uh, I have heard from people who worked in the ministries that worked for him and say that he's actually a fantastic minister. Mm-hmm. Um, so, you know, it's, it's one of those things where... Well, it's one of those classic political right. conundrums, right? Where you can have somebody who is excellent
1: at governance... But doesn't have a snowball's chance in hell of winning a popularity contest. Right. And
0: in order to be a successful politician, you need to do both. Well, I mean I mean former liberal leader Stéphane Zion was that way too. I mean mm-hmm. he's he's known for being a fantastic minister, but was not was not ready for prime time, shall we say. Right. Um, but John Baird has some major skeletons, which is why he which is why he didn't run into it. Rona Ambrose, it would have been nice to see. It would have been nice to see more uh, some more high profile women. Mm-hmm. On this, um, the other thing that I, I feel like is, is that this list is indicative of the direction that the Conservative Party is, um, is aimed at taking, which is the ho- high-profile candidates, because I, I don't know legitimately a lot about a lot of those names. Like, mm-hmm. I, it's kind of like a Joe Who situation. Um, but, so, so there could be some fantastic leaders there who mm-hmm. emerge... Uh, but right now I don't know much about them but certainly in terms of the direction of the Conservative Party in its highest profile candidates I mean that vessel is leaning right mm-hmm. and and more so I think than it than it had even before under Andrew Shear. because Andrew Scheer as much as he was very right-leaning I don't think he was very uh, charismatic in a way to pull everybody to the right mm-hmm. uh, whereas Erin O'Toole and and, uh, and Peter McKay, I think there's a major pull there. Yeah, Well, I mean, Peter McKay, of course,
1: former leader of the uh, Progressive Conservative Party of Canada, the, the final leader of the Progressive Conservative Party of Canada. Um, he's associated a lot with Red Tories just because so much of his party was Red Tories, but he was the most conservative leader Absolutely. they had had he was. in
0: quite some time. Um, going back well before Mulrooney. Well, I um, mean, a lot of people who were members of the PC party mm -hmm. still hold him in contempt for what he did to that party, which was joined with reform. Right. Uh, In
1: the same way, a lot of former Wild Rosers still hold a grudge against Daniel Smith for essentially leading the way to their party collapsing, even though they found their way back in government as a result of it. Um, Now, Aaron O'Toole is certainly to the right of, uh, of Andrew Scheer. Uh, he's positioning himself as sort of the uh, Maxime Bernier without the baggage of this race. Uh, he's a Well, mil- I mean, you don't want to leave baggage at your girlfriend's house. Who would do that? I don't know why you keep bringing that up. Yep. But um, Aaron O'Toole, of course, a former veteran, um, he's, he's got certainly some, some well-articulated policy uh, positions, whether or not you necessarily agree with them. So it's it's going to be interesting to see if it's going to be one of the two front runners or whether somebody's going to come up the middle. Uh, but uh, at the end of the day, you've only got four months left. As we record this, it's a little under four months actually before uh, the next leader of the Conservative Party is going to be chosen. So if some of those lesser known names are going to uh, rocket up the standings, as it were, they they better get on it now because uh, they're going to run out of time in fairly short order. So. That is that is the conservative uh, sort of viewpoint or, or the status of the conservative party as we start looking towards the future. However, um, not to be outdone, Andrew Scheer, despite having one foot out the door already, actually called for a, uh, um, a, a motion of non-confidence in the government fairly recently. And that was as a result of their handling of... Um, the uh, the issues around uh, uh, resource extraction, right? Whether you're talking about pipelines or you're talking about mines or you're talking about uh, the, the rail blockades, uh, there was going to be a motion of non-confidence. Uh, so Andrew Scheer was actually making a play to be prime minister despite the fact he's already announced that he's stepping down. Um, With that said, and we should say, just for the record, that he's not the only leader uh, who didn't survive the election. Elizabeth May, if anyone was paying attention, also said that she will no longer be the leader of her party. Sure. Um, uh, She's going to be their leader in Parliament, but uh, she thinks the party needs uh, to, to find a new leader. And we'll cover that race as it develops, if it develops. Uh, in the meantime, though, we, we did have and have had some continuing issues on the federal level around natural resources. Uh, we recently had uh, a major announcement from a big Canadian company, Tech Resources, here in Canada, or here in Alberta rather, about their Tech Frontier mine, that they were in fact going to be um, uh, withdrawing their application to build the mine. Uh, they, their application was waiting for federal approval. Um, It was also waiting uh, to jump through some provincial hurdles. Now, the CEO of Tech, I believe it was, uh, put out a a strongly worded two-page letter uh, to the federal government saying that he was withdrawing the application and that they would not be building this major project. And one of the things they mentioned at that time in the letter was that the lack of harmony between the economic and environmental sides of the equation was making it a situation where people did not want to invest, uh, and that tech wanted more attention paid to the environment. Now that flew under the radar in Alberta media, which immediately jumped on the bandwagon of "This is Justin Trudeau's fault. Justin Trudeau screwed us." Uh, whereas the the media in other parts of the country jumped on the bandwagon and said, "This is Jason Kenney's fault because he canceled Alberta's climate initiatives, and this you know he he screwed himself. Jason screwed Jason." The truth is always probably lies somewhere in the middle. Isn't that right, Kirk?
0: Yeah, it's, it's the type of thing where if you, if you read, <laughs> if you read the, what Tech said one way, you could easily blame Trudeau for all of this. Mm-hmm. If you read it another way, you could easily blame Jason Kenney and, and the Alberta government and their, their lack of diversification uh, and, and environmental sense on this one. You know, it's it's one of those things where everybody's going to interpret it the way that their bias uh, inclines them to. Mm-hmm. Um, in the end, what it meant is that it didn't make financial sense for tech, right. right? And and so, regardless of kind of the reason, because the whole everything's multivariate in this case. Regardless of the reason, a company decided not to invest in something that that they had received regulatory approval for because of effectively unrest mm-hmm. with with multiple levels of government. And that should really be more of the wake up call that that's kind of a um like look, you know, this is the situation. Now maybe maybe you see that as a victory, maybe you see that as a loss. In the end it's it's indicative of what is coming. Mm-hmm. Um like it, it it really is the canary in the proverbial coal mine here. Well, and there have often been disagreements between different levels of
1: government uh, and and philosophical and political differences between those levels. I mean, we live in Alberta, which is overwhelmingly conservative if you look at the history of its provincial uh, governments, and the federal government in Ottawa tends more often than not to be liberal-leaning. So there's some natural collisions there, and of course the famous Trudeau and Law heat fights of the 1980s come to mind over the national energy program. Um, However, it's rarely gotten as um, strident as it has been over the past little while. You had the Premier of Alberta and his party outwardly and publicly and in the press advocating for the defeat of the sitting prime minister, which didn't in fact happen. So after the federal election, you had the sitting prime minister who had just had every stink bomb imaginable thrown at him by the provincial governor of Alberta, sitting across the table from Jason Kenney, who was in effect saying, okay, well, let's work together. And you can understand
0: why there would perhaps be some reticence to do that. Well, and, and this, I mean, we're, we were probably going to talk about it anyways, but, you know, the whole thing with the Buffalo, or the Buffalo Declaration mm-hmm. and things like that like like Alberta's not doing itself any favors by basically creating the firewall that we talked about two decades ago mm-hmm. um, that that's happening i mean, I mean basically this whole the, the whole fueling the fires of wexit and and signing this declaration that you know oh my god Alberta is being treated Poorly, and, and I mean, we've talked about why equalization has never really done anything and, and our lack of a provincial sales tax uh, helping, help, not helping that at all. Uh, but you know, like all these things are happening. So, so, no, so we've, got, we've got these things happening in Alberta. And of course, there's there's been a lack of investment in diversification. Um, you know, the, one of the first things the Kenny government did was remove some of the tech credits that existed mm-hmm. that brought uh, that brought a, a video game company here and, and brought uh, a lot of a lot of movie and, and you know arts arts piece here. Um, you know, so so the lack of that investment and just generally the anti um, anti environmental movement in Alberta. I mean, I mean, tech mentioned the environmental piece in there. Like, Alberta has not done itself any favors here. Now, not to say the federal government is is uh, non-complicit, but there is a bit of looking in the mirror here a bit and going, what is it that we can do to foster investment? It's the same thing that happened when, um, you know, like when, when 9-11 happened, and George W. Bush then declared that basically this was going to cause... Havoc in financial markets. Well, what do you think happens when the pr- president of the United States states that there's going to be havoc in financial markets? Mm-hmm. Like, there was probably going to be some anyways, but you have a lot of say and a lot of power and a lot of uh, ability to self-fulfill prophecies mm-hmm. uh, when when you're in that position. And they I think, call it the bully pulpit for sure. a reason. So so. I think in Alberta, we've done a lot of the same things to ourselves. We've, we've, we've cut out this diversification. We've talked about this firewall. I mean, if you were a publicly traded company and you were looking for a new headquarters, like let's say like Amazon, and let's say that Calgary was a viable place for Amazon to do its HQ2, regardless of what reason, you know, whether you think that's a good idea or not. If, if all of this stuff is happening in Alberta, and Alberta's threatening to separate, or threatening that there might be reason to separate, mm-hmm. and the federal government is basically ignoring the province and ignoring the the issues with the province. Uh, who the hell is going to invest here? Right, right. And then, of course, from an economic standpoint, if nobody invests here, you're going to death spiral. Like, like you're not. The, the
1: economics of it don't make sense. Well, downtown Calgary has, for the first time in at least 20 years, fully empty office towers. Office towers with not a single tenant. And that's only going to get worse the, the, the more uh, there is this disconnect between uh, the current situation and what you would describe as a stable situation. There's a reason companies don't relocate their headquarters to Montreal. Because they're not sure whether their headquarters will still be in Canada in 10 years. There's a reason people aren't clamoring to move their headquarters to Edinburgh, Scotland right now. Because they're not sure Scotland's going to be part of the United Kingdom in the next 10 years. Right? Uh, With with everything that's going on with Brexit. So, uh, I mean, and certainly the Buffalo Declaration and the Premier of Alberta standing up during the federal election and saying, we're going to have a full-on separatist crisis in Alberta if this guy wins. That's not helping matters any. The Buffalo Declaration came out since we've been away. Uh, that was a, a manifesto of sorts that was put out by uh, four members of parliament uh, representing Alberta Ridings. Uh, Michelle Rempel-Garner from Calgary Nose Hill, uh, Blake Richards from Banff Airdrie, Glenn Motts from Medicine Hat, Cartston Warner, and Arnold Viersen from Peace River Westlock. And essentially the, the, uh, the underlying theme of the Buffalo Declaration is that Alberta has not been treated as a full partner in confederation and it's time that we start being treated like a full partner or bad things might begin to happen Uh, and, and we see some manifestation of that already. Now of course right of center politicians are clamoring to sign on the dotted line to say they support this Buffalo Declaration but there's something underlying there's something underneath that Buffalo Declaration that really seems to make the rest of the country not want to take Alberta's complaints
0: seriously. What have you been hearing? Well, I mean, it, it's being laughed at. I think, I think even internally, Alberta. I mean, the the first things I saw with, about the Buffalo Declaration were people making fun of it. Like, I didn't even get a chance to read it before it was being ripped apart, mm-hmm. and and I think it just the assumptions are that, well, again, it it's it's that lack of mirror. The assumptions are that we haven't we haven't been complicit in it, like, you know, no note... that everything bad that has ever happened to
1: Alberta was done to it yeah. by the Laurentian elites,
0: right? Assumption. And like, you know, and and we've talked about this before. Equalization is never going to take really Alberta into account until there's at least a PSD. And, and frankly, I'll learn more about equalization tomorrow because I'm going to that. Uh, a full-day course that Trevor Tome is doing on, on the history of equalization in Canada, ah. which my wife thinks I'm crazy for wanting to go to, but I think it's going to be fun. Ah, sounds like a rip-roaring good time. So, I laughed, I cried. Better than cats. Yeah. So so, uh, but, but, you know, it's the type of thing with, with we have never put in a sales tax. And, and you know, some people might call sales taxes regressive. Um, you know, you can make sales taxes quite progressive. I mean, GST... Is actually quite a progressive sales tax because it doesn't tax things like, like groceries, mm-hmm. uh, right? So, so there, are, there definitely are ways to to deal with that, but we've never, we've never seriously looked at it, and and there's kind of been this idea in Alberta that any party that seriously talks about a PST is never going to get elected, right? Although you know there's only really been one party, for the last, you know, half a century if you don't count the one-term NDP, so. You know it's hard to say whether or not that's actually true, uh, but you know there's never been talk about about a real provincial sales tax. Well, if if you if you make your budget based on a resource economy that the world is actively trying to move away from, uh, and you're not spending enough on diversification or or providing enough. Um, enough of an incubator for investment then it's really hard for anybody to take you seriously
1: right yeah now i mean there have of course been other um uh, other things that have come up either in the buffalo declaration or as a result of conversations around that buffalo declaration things even that were part of the conservative party's platform in the uh, alberta provincial election uh, things like an Alberta police force uh, akin to the Ontario Provincial Police or the Royal Newfoundland Constabulary. Uh, the idea of withdrawing Alberta's money from the Canadian pension plan and creating an Alberta pension plan that would be uh, governed locally which of course has led to a lot of people freaking out about the possibility that a political directive to AMCO, which is absolutely on the table, uh, would potentially move our pension money into uh older technologies and older companies that would not in fact be able to see returns on that money trying to prop up essentially the petrochemical industries at a time when the world is beginning to transition um there have been other ideas as well about uh uh, you know sort of setting up a bulwark between alberta and the rest of the country
0: when it comes to some very important things well i mean they talked about a referendum on equalization which is for anybody who's who's in this game, is the dumbest idea you could possibly come up with because one, we have no say, and like we pay federal taxes. Right. Like a we're... referendum on equalization in Alberta
1: is akin to your kids taking a vote amongst themselves and deciding that their allowance is not high enough. That's right. That's great that they've decided that, but that doesn't
0: bind you to take any action whatsoever. So it's you know it's. All of these things that, that are happening are, yeah, are there, are there cases to be made that we have not been treated properly by, by the rest of Canada? Probably. Mm-hmm. And, and frankly, from a political party standpoint, if you're a federal party and you want to win, what provinces do you care about? Well, guess what? It's going to be the ones with the highest populations, which, lo and behold, are Ontario and Quebec, right? Right. Um, now that's not anybody's fault. That's
1: not a conspiracy against Alberta. No, it's just that people have lived there hundreds of years longer, and there's a lot more livable land in those provinces than there are here.
0: And to be frank, with somebody like, uh, like Michelle, she was she was a cabinet minister in Ottawa, mm-hmm. and none of this happened, right? Like this is not a matter of. Can the federal government do it? It's a matter of creating the wedge and, and garnering support. Well, I see what you did there, garnering the support. Now, if you, <laughs> if you go
1: back and read through the, and I certainly encourage people to read the Buffalo Declaration, it's important to know what people are saying. Um, one of the points they make is that they were making great progress on all of this under Stephen Harper, but it was all um, almost immediately rolled back when Justin Trudeau took power. He just sat down and said, "Everything that ever gave any sort of autonomy or power or influence to the West, we have to get rid of." Which is how do I put this? Fuddle duddle. Um, eh, I mean, I see what you did there. Yes, I mean that's that's not actually reflective of the reality, is it? Alberta wasn't calling the shots for the whole country after Stephen Harper was was in government because at the end of the day, Stephen Harper could do math just as well as anyone, better than most. He's an economist, for God's sake. Yeah. He knows that the votes were in Quebec and Ontario. He was trying to grow around the 905. He wasn't trying to
0: grow around the 403. There were no seats left for him to grow to. Well, I, I think that's always the thing that that I, we keep coming back to here is is that what incentive is there for for a federal government to do anything for the province and and right now this is why people are looking at separatism because Mm -hmm. uh, we vote the same way so there's no incentive for the liberal party to do anything here there's no incentive really for the conservative party to do anything more here outside of you know just create enough hatred and and anger that that we're going to just continue to vote for them Uh, but they really don't have a stick or a carrot Unless they start talking about separatism. But the thing is, this has been as old as Alberta itself. Mm-hmm. I mean, again, to just to mention Trevor Tome, he posted something the other day, which was a quote by R.B. Bennett, who was a prime minister in, God, I'm going to get it wrong again. I feel like the 1930s, um, but it might have been 1940s. Uh, and Joey, I'm sure, is going to look it up. He was um, a member for Calgary West. Um and and a prime minister who uh, who was in Calgary West, um, so he was prime minister from 1930 to 1935. Okay, so I was right about the 30s. Uh, so like we're talking about 25 years after Alberta confederated, we're already talking about hey we should use separatism as a wedge, right? And and as a way to get what we what we feel we deserve. Like this is this is a tale as old as time. Mm-hmm.
1: And the bottom line is if alberta wants more influence in confederation given the way that we dole out our seats there's a very simple solution have more babies and attract more immigration <laughs> right i mean alberta is not going to have an outsized influence on confederation until we have an outsized population and until we are one of the top two provinces in population and therefore one of the top two provinces when it comes to seat counts we're never going to get the attention that those seat
0: rich provinces do. Now, and it doesn't doesn't mean that we're 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 getting what we should get mm-hmm. proportionally. Right. right? I I think there again, there are some good arguments to be made. Well, god, I will talk to somebody
1: all day and all night about Senate reform. That's something that's brought up again in the Buffalo Declaration. That's the thing that got me interested in politics in the first place. Right. I I'm Desperately agree with the notion of Senate reform, but in terms of the actual allotment of seats in the House of Commons, we do get our fair share of those. Uh, and unless we're going to talk about whole-scale electoral reform, which I also have time to have discussions on, um, it, that is the most we can do right now without a without a constitutional convention. And while you, Kirk, and I would be in our glory for a constitutional convention, the rest of the country would be absolutely miserable for months. Look out, Meech Lake. Look out, Charlottetown. We're back. Yes, better than ever. All right, so taking it back just a couple steps, um, we have had some some motion in provincial politics here in Alberta. And I'd, I'd like to end off with With discussion of that Um, so but before we do that actually just in looking at the time on the podcast I I'm triggered to
0: remember something that you had mentioned Kirk did you cheat on me this week I did I uh, I did a podcast that was uh, far more in line with with what I do professionally Mm -hmm. and uh, actually if if anybody felt cheated it was me because at about 20 minutes in uh, the podcast host told me that okay, we're going to wrap up, and I'm looking at my watch, going, but I'm just getting started. Like this isn't this isn't a podcast. This is an intro. But uh, yeah, so apparently, real podcasts um, are not nearly as long as you and I make them. But you know what? I remember what your enlightened savage posts used to uh, used to be like for length, and and I certainly am not uh, short winded by any means. So. Uh, if you're listening to us, this is the way we're going to have it, damn it. Absolutely. You'll
1: take it and you'll <laughs> like it, listener. Um, <laughs> now, with that said, uh, provincial politics. We've, we've had a couple things that just sort of popped up on our radar, some interesting things. Uh, first thing, um, we need to talk just very briefly about the Alberta Party. They got themselves an acting leader. Um, uh, after the stepping down of Stephen Mandel, it took them longer to find an acting leader than it took Stephen Mandel to find a gig with the provincial government. But they did find one. It's Jacqueline Fenske from up Fort Saskatchewan way. Now, Jacqueline Fenske, a former PCMLA, um, uh, she uh, has begun touring the province to try and uh, bang the drum for the party to let people
0: know they're still there. Uh, They have had a hiccup somewhat early on, though. Uh, yeah, so the uh, their, their strategist uh, recently got an email where, where he was being asked about his credentials. Right. Uh, from with, a party member. From a party member, which uh, ended in a very terse email uh, back that effectively was a... How do I put this?
1: Well, let me just put it in the form of a question. Kirk, why is it a bad idea as a senior strategist who's counted on to exercise and is useful to the party only in your ability to exercise good judgment. Why is it a problem to send core supporters of your party
0: emails that refer to them as pissants and tell them to fuck off? Well, you know what? I here, Here's the thing. He's gotten more people elected than you and I have. So get, Well, he's get, gotten more people elected than you have. Okay, fair enough. <laughs> fair enough. That... that that's true. Um, I'm I'm batting a zero here. But uh, but the fact of the matter is, of the people he got elected, it was the one who effectively collapsed the party in terms of seats in Parliament. Right, which is an
1: odd flex, right? I mean, to, to say, I got Stephen Mandel elected. That's how good I am. And then he oversaw the complete collapse of
0: your party. But I'm still good at what I do, darn it. That is kind of a weird flex. Yeah, especially when you know, he lost. He didn't file his paperwork on in time um, for for the for the uh, the leadership, right? Because he he only oh made... no,
1: he filed his paperwork on time for the leadership. He didn't file his paperwork on time to be a candidate in the election. He was
0: almost disqualified as a candidate. No, I, I thought it was his finances. From the leadership that he didn't file on time. Oh, and that, it was those also that, that disqualified. Yeah. Anyways, uh, regardless, <laughs> um, you know, like he Stephen Mandel came in and less than a year later stepped down right. uh, because of all of the issues, including collapsing the party. So yeah, it. I mean, the Alberta Party has not done itself any favors, and and they might have they might have recovered a little bit because they produced the shadow budget, right. which you know. Under Greg Clark, they did a lot of, and, and I think that's where they actually gained a lot of the respect they gained, mm-hmm. um, of the respect they had, and, and it was it was because of their ability to, you know, certainly with a one MLA show, uh, produce things like shadow budgets. Now you can argue whether shadow budgets are good or not. You mm-hmm. know, when you don't have access to the, to kind of the ministries, right? You know, it's it's hard to really come up with real numbers, but uh, at the same time. Yeah, it's, uh, they, they certainly didn't do themselves any favors with that one. So, uh, but I mean, the bottom line is not
1: all hope is lost, right? The party is not gone. They're gone from the legislative assembly, but they've got a, an acting leader. Uh, they're working on uh, uh, their policy and, uh, and AGM uh, conferences coming up. Uh, they're, you know, they had candidates in 87 ridings. Uh, there, there is hope for the party, but the biggest thing that they need to do between now and day after tomorrow, because they are running out of time uh, to get ready for this next election, is they need to decide who they want to be, right? Uh, there's still very much uh, a, uh, a bipolar pull within the party. There's the, there's the staunch, centrists, the passionate progressives who want to do politics a different way, you know, and that's great. But there's also the people who came to that party from the Progressive Conservative Party or from other places, and they know how to get people elected, but they are much more, um, let's say, they're much more calculating right? In, in terms of what needs to happen. Sure. So you've, you've got the political operatives, and you've got the true believers, and they can't come together, or, or at least they won't come together. They're, they're fighting amongst themselves, and a house divided uh, against itself cannot stand. Sure. So uh, if they can't either start rowing the same direction or throw some people out of the boat so it's going in a direction, they've got no chance against Rachel Notley. They've got no chance against Jason Kenney. Uh, and maybe Jacqueline Fenske is the person to bring some more to that chaos. Uh, we'll just keep an eye on it and find out. Sure. Now the thing that came out yesterday kirk and the reason we're here today is the provincial budget i'm sorry we got some bad news we have to let you go how much am i getting (laughs) you're funny (laughs) all right so the provincial budget did come out in alberta yesterday there's already been a lot of reaction uh as per usual opposition politicians were criticizing it before they read it which is i mean par for the course politics is theater But, uh, as we've had a chance to look over some of the numbers, uh, the deficit has gone down slightly. Uh, It's supposed to be gone and we're supposed to be in a surplus situation within the next uh, three years, I believe. Based on resource revenue. Based on resource revenue and that's what I wanted to talk to you about, especially in light of where you're going tomorrow and what you're going to be hearing about. Um, But also all the data that's been flying around on the web. You are the math guy. It's only by the grace of God I remember what the number is on my trimmer for my beard. Um, How likely is it that we're
0: actually going to meet the projections for revenue uh, in this provincial budget? Uh, I don't think that's going to happen at all. Mm -hmm. Um, It's it's being very optimistic about a rebound in the energy sector in Alberta, Mm
1: -hmm.
0: which could happen. And and certainly in terms of, of, you know, and and I'm no expert in this, but, but certainly in terms of the number I've seen... Uh, with with respect to global consumption and global production like the, there's opportunity still for the energy sector in Alberta
1: mm-hmm.
0: but it's it's still relying upon um, OPEC not trying to shut out Alberta right? which it actively does it's also we also have to remember that we're not trading at West Texas oil numbers right um, so even 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 if you watch west texan's numbers with with um with alberta heavy crude like is there's not a perfect correlation with those either mm-hmm. and so you know we're assuming all of these things that i think i think frankly past governments have made mistake after mistake after mistake in assuming and it's why diversification is such an important piece and and isn't part of this so yeah. In the end, does the budget look look like we're going to eliminate the deficit? Yes. Um, is it going to do it on the backs of Albertans? Uh, absolutely. Well, we're certainly more likely
1: to see user fees. User fees are mentioned in the in the budget documents several times.
0: Uh, but are... no sales tax. Because um, we're already being taxed to death. So, exactly. So no new taxes, but user fees are okay because we, we, we have the, it lowest have the word taxes tax. in Confederation. We don't
1: dare raise them because people will definitely not come here if they're only paying five percent less.
0: You user fees are not taxes. Just it doesn't have the word no. tax in the name. Exactly. Therefore it's not a tax. Right. For the same reason that photo reader is not a tax. And and the carbon levy.
1: exactly. Exactly. We don't tax job creators, but we do put a levy on them. Now, with all of that said, though, um, looking at the budget documents, uh, you do see those user fees, you do see areas where there are going to be cuts. Uh, we, we saw an announcement today, 230 positions gone from SAIT, yes. uh, which is all about the trades, which has been a focus for this government, so I'm sure that stings a little bit for them. Uh, the University of Calgary has announced that uh, they're very likely to see some cuts coming as well. And cuts go well beyond post-secondary. You're going to see cuts uh, in the in the health, uh, health departments. You're going to see um, uh, cuts really all over the place, both directly related to this budget and also as a result of things that happen in this budget. And let's be clear, When you let go of a public servant, you're not just letting go of a public servant and that doesn't just take their salary off the books. That's also taking the trip they were going to take with their family off the books, so now the travel agency doesn't make money. It's taking that secondhand car they were about to buy off the books, so now they're not going to buy that car and the car dealership doesn't get that money. It's taking the groceries
0: they were gonna buy off the books. So now the corner store doesn't make that money. Well and and, and it doesn't eat, doesn't also take into account all of the um, all of the lost time that happens because other people are trying to cover that position or you know, like like you think of, of say going to the passport office, even though that's federal. Mm-hmm. But you figure if, if you go to the passport office and it takes an average of thirty minutes while you're there, and they cut half the people, well now you're there for for probably more than an hour, mm-hmm. um, and and everybody is right. Like there's 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 a compounding effect, mm-hmm. not just in terms of what lost uh, spending power there was, but also in terms of lost time and frustration and and all sorts of things. And and that, let's face it, that can sometimes also be the play. Mm-hmm. Right, you know, make healthcare look so bad and people, people complain so much that you privatize it, right? right. There's, there's the, the theory that that's kind of what's happening. But yeah, there, there's all of these consequences when you get rid of positions uh, of a job creation government, mm-hmm. I should add. Yeah, wealth isn't the only thing that trickles down. Right. Uh, so
1: does trouble. And, uh, and as these positions, whether they're private or public, uh, do get eliminated and have been eliminated over the past few years, uh, it, it just makes things harder on, on everybody. So as much as balancing the budget is certainly something uh, to be desired, uh, and we see the provincial finances as something that should be uh, brought under control, we do have to keep in mind that just like it would have been incredibly tacky to cheer when Syncrude laid people off or to cheer when when Pengrowth uh, laid people off, we, we have to be careful not to Get so wrapped up in the idea that we're we're balancing the budget, darn it! That uh, that we start cheering when we see either tertiary or direct government employees laid off because uh, those are those are families and they put money into the local economy and they pay taxes just like the rest of us. Uh, and uh, it's never good news when somebody loses their job. So with that said, Kirk, uh, we've been talking here for just about an hour. Um, and I want to ask you we're sort of in a lull period now except as we talked about about the um, federal conservative leadership race but we are about 18 months from a municipal election yes if you're somebody who's thinking of running whether it be for school board or city council 18 months out from the election what should you be doing right now to help you decide whether or not this is a job that you actually want and or to lay the groundwork if you've already decided you do?
0: Well, I, I think if anything, you need a group of people at this point, right? You need a group of people who are supporting you, who will be able to help you with the campaign. Look, you almost need to, you almost need to do, I, I hate to say a discovery committee because I, I don't think that's what this is, especially at municipal level. But it's more of a group of people who can open doors who can who can uh, who can maybe generate some some initial money for you, who can uh, start working with you on on kind of what you want your message to be, what you want your campaign to be about that type of thing. Um, you're probably not knocking on doors yet because frankly in 18 months nobody's gonna remember. Mm-hmm. but you're probably starting to think about doors this fall, right? right? so, That that's if you want to really get ahead of it. The fact of the matter is, most people aren't going to announce until next spring or later. Uh, If you'll remember, Nahe Nenshi didn't announce until, I think it was June, if I remember correctly, um, for the October election in which he became mayor. So it's not about announcing. It's not necessarily about necessarily being out there in the public. But you probably want to start thinking about maybe who you could meet with and who you could chat with. And and kind of what your writing is going to look like in 18 months. And and certainly there are boundary changes going on in Calgary uh,
1: particularly Uh, so it's worth getting up to date on those because you may not live in the ward that you think you live in uh, come next October so it's definitely worth doing your research that way. Uh, This is actually one of the few areas in which you can effectively use social media these days. Find your ten. Find your ten core supporters, the people who will organize for you, the people who will introduce you to people who have
0: money find your 10 on Twitter and then log off and supporters are not bots by the way I mean we, we've seen that in several yeah. elections um, going back to 2010, the Hawk bots um, you know you need more than that.
1: Have you ever looked at somebody's Twitter profile and it says retweet does not equal endorsement? Retweets don't equal votes either. So find your 10 and then log off because Twitter's not going to help you, and it's going to eat time you could be doing other things. With that said, we're going to wrap it up for tonight. I have been the enlightened savage Joey Oberhoffner. Hold on. Hold on.
0: What? You forgot to ask the question. The question? Well, Kirk, why don't you ask me the question? Joey, online voting. Yeah. Is it the a great idea or the greatest idea?
1: Honestly, I think it's probably the greatest idea and I don't just say that because of the check that recently entered my account from a holding company in uh, St. Petersburg I say that because it's important that we get all of this stuff online because it's easier all the citizens can use it everybody has a computer everybody has high-speed Internet they know how to use them it's unhackable. I am going to file my taxes next week, and I'm going to do those online. Look Look at how quickly the results came in in the primaries in the United States. Absolutely. And, and it's because of that process that uh, everybody in the Iowa Democratic Party lost their jobs. <laughs> so... <laughs> With that said, I have been, again, the Enlightened Savage Joey Oberhofner. And I am as always Kirk Schmidt. And we are The The Unelectables. Unelectables. Unelectable. That's
0: a pass on you. Now I'm stuck on this podcast with you.
1: Podcasting with this fool. Hey, hey,
0: hey. Your mom says I'm cool.
1: Unelectable.
0: That's how you'll stay,
1: though in no way am I respectable.
0: So voters found you unelectable.
1: At least they found you unelectable, Unelectable.